There is an old Negro spiritual that I incorporated into a song. It goes, Lord, how come me here? Oh, Lord, how come me here? I didn't know him, but he knew me. He knew Harlem. He knew poetry. He knew Jesus. He knew my mother. He knew sin. I did not know him, but when I first read him, he knew me. This excerpt comes from The Fire Next Time. I became during my 14th year, for the first time in my life, afraid. Afraid of the evil within me and afraid of the evil without. What I saw around me that summer in Harlem was what I had always seen. Nothing had changed. But now, without any warning, the whores and pimps and racketeers on the avenue had become a personal menace. It had not before occurred to me that I could become one of them. But now I realized that we had been produced by the same circumstances. Many of my comrades were clearly headed for the avenue, and my father said that I was headed that way too. My friends began to drink and smoke and embarked at first avid, then groaning, on their sexual careers. Girls only slightly older than I was, who sang in the choir or taught Sunday school, the children of holy parents underwent before my eyes their incredible metamorphosis, of which the most bewildering aspect was not their budding breasts or their rounding behinds, but something deeper and more subtle in their eyes, their heat, their odor, and the inflection of their voices. Like the strangers on the avenue, they became, in the twinkling of an eye, unutterably different and fantastically present. Owing to the way I had been raised, the abrupt discomfort that all this aroused in me, and the fact that I had no idea what my voice or my mind or my body was likely to do next, caused me to consider myself one of the most depraved people on earth. Matters were not helped by the fact that these holy girls seemed rather to enjoy my terrified lapses, our grim, guilty, tormented experiments, which were at once as chill and joyless as the Russian steppes and hotter by far than all the fires of hell. Yet there was something deeper than these changes and less definable that frightened me. It was real in both the boys and the girls, but it was, somehow, more vivid in the boys. In the case of the girls, one watched them turning into matrons before they had become women. They began to manifest a curious and really rather terrifying single-mindedness. It is hard to say exactly how this was conveyed, something implacable in the set of the lips, something far-seeing, seeing what in the eyes, some new and crushing determination in the walk, something peremptory in the voice. They did not tease us, the boys, anymore. They reprimanded us sharply, saying, you better be thinking about your soul. For the girls also saw the evidence on the avenue, knew what the price would be for them of one misstep, knew that they had to be protected and that we were the only protection there was. They understood that they must act as God's decoys, saving the souls of the boys for Jesus and binding the bodies of the boys in marriage, for this was the beginning of our burning time, and it is better, said St. Paul, who elsewhere with a most unusual and stunning exactness described himself as a wretched man, it is better to marry than to burn. And I began to feel in the boys a curious, wary, bewildered despair, as though they were now settling in for the long, hard winter of life. 
I did not know then what it was that I was reacting to. I put it to myself that they were letting themselves go. In the same way that the girls were destined to gain as much weight as their mothers, the boys, it was clear, would rise no higher than their fathers. And my friends were now downtown, busy, as they put it, fighting the man. They began to care less about the way they looked, the way they dressed, the things they did. Presently, one found them in twos and threes and fours in the hallway, sharing a jug of wine or a bottle of whiskey, talking, cursing, fighting, sometimes weeping, lost, and unable to say what it was that oppressed them, except that they knew it was the man, the white man. And there seemed to be no way whatever to remove this cloud that stood between them and the sun between them and love and life and power, between them and whatever it was they wanted. One did not have to be very bright to realize how little one could do to change one's situation. One did not have to be abnormally sensitive to be worn down to a cutting edge by the incessant and gratuitous humiliation and danger one encountered every working day all day long. The humiliation did not apply merely to working days or workers. I was 13 and was crossing Fifth Avenue on my way to the 42nd Street Library, and the cop in the middle of the street muttered as I passed him, why don't you niggas stay uptown where you belong? When I was 10, and didn't look certainly any older, two policemen amused themselves with me by frisking me, making comic and terrifying speculations concerning my ancestry and probable sexual prowess, and for good measure, leaving me flat on my back in one of Harlem's empty lots. Just before, and then during the Second World War, many of my friends fled into the service, all to be changed there, and rarely for the better, many to be ruined and many to die. Others fled to other states and cities, that is, to other ghettos. Some went on wine or whiskey or the needle and are still on it, and others like me fled into the church. For the wages of sin were visible everywhere, in every wine-stained and urine-splashed hallway, in every clanging ambulance bell, in every scar on the faces of the pimps and the whores, in every helpless newborn baby being brought into this danger, in every knife and pistol fight on the avenue, and in every disastrous bulletin, a cousin, mother of six, suddenly gone mad, the children parceled out here and there, an indestructible aunt rewarded for years of hard labor by a slow, agonizing death in a terrible small room, someone's bright son blown into eternity by his own hand, another turned robber and carried off to jail, it was a summer of dreadful speculations and discoveries, of which these were not the worst. Crime became real. For example, for the first time, not as a possibility, but as the possibility. One would never defeat one's circumstances by working and saving one's pennies. One would never by working acquire that many pennies. And besides, the social treatment accorded even the most successful Negroes proved that one needed, in order to be free, something more than a bank account. One needed a handle, a lever, a means of inspiring fear. White people in this country will have quite enough to do in learning how to accept and love themselves and each other. And when they have achieved this, which will not be tomorrow and may very well be never, the Negro problem will no longer exist, for it will no longer be needed. The summer wore on and things got worse. I became more guilty, more frightened, and kept all this bottled up inside me. And naturally, inescapably, one night when this woman had finished preaching, everything came roaring, screaming, crying out, and I fell to the ground before the altar. It was the strangest sensation I had ever had in my life, up to that time or since. I had not known that it was going to happen or that it could happen. One moment I was on my feet, singing and clapping, and at the same time working out in my head the plot of a play I was working on then, 
And the next moment, with no transition, no sensation of falling, I was on my back with the lights beating down into my face and all the vertical saints above me. I did not know what I was doing down so low or how I had got there, and the anguish that filled me cannot be described. It moved in me like one of those floods that devastate counties, tearing everything down, tearing children from their parents and lovers from each other and making everything an unrecognizable waste. All I really remember is the pain, the unspeakable pain. It was as though I were yelling up to heaven and heaven would not hear me. And if heaven would not hear me, if love could not descend from heaven to wash me, to make me clean, then utter disaster was my portion. Yes, it does indeed mean something, something unspeakable, to be born in a white country, an Anglo-Teutonic anti-sexual country, black. You very soon, without knowing it, give up all hope of communion. Black people mainly looking down or look up, but do not look at each other, not at you. And white people mainly look away. And the universe is simply a sounding drum. There is no way, no way whatever. So it seemed then, and has sometimes seemed since, to get through a life, to love your wife and children, or your friends, or your mother and father, or to be loved. The universe, which is not merely the stars and the moon and the planets, flowers, grass, and trees, but other people, has evolved no terms for your existence, has made no room for you. And if love will not swing wide the gates, no other power or will can. And if one despairs, as who is not, of human love, God's love alone is left. But God, and I felt this even then, so long ago, on that tremendous floor unwillingly, God is white. And if his love was so great, and if he loved all his children, why were we, the blacks, cast down so far? Why? In spite of all I said thereafter, I found no answer on the floor, not that answer anyway. And I was on the floor all night, over me to bring me through. The saints sang and rejoiced and prayed. And in the morning, when they raised me, they told me that I was saved. Well, indeed I was, in a way. For I was utterly drained and exhausted and released for the first time from all my guilty torment. I was aware then only of my relief. For many years I could not ask myself why human relief had to be achieved in a fashion at once so pagan and so desperate, in a fashion at once so unspeakably old and so unutterably new. And by the time I was able to ask myself this question, I was also able to see that the principles governing the rights and customs of the churches in which I grew up did not differ from the principles governing the rights and customs of other churches is white. The principles were blindness, loneliness, and terror. The first principle necessarily and actively cultivated in order to deny the two others. I would love to believe that the principles were faith, hope, and charity. But this is clearly not so for most Christians or for what we call the Christian world. I was saved, but at that same time, out of a deep adolescent cunning, I do not pretend to understand. I realized immediately that I could not remain in the church merely as another worshiper. I would have to give myself something to do in order not to be too bored and find myself among all the wretched unsaved of the avenue. And I don't doubt that I also intended to be rather to best my father on his ground Lord, how come me here? Lord, how 
Come meet.